Our scripture reading is found in Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. We are going through the Lord's Prayer here as the Lord gave it to his disciples, a petition by petition. But let's pray together as we read the entire um, Lord's Prayer as it's given here. It begins in verse 9, Matthew nine, uh, 6, 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, the three petitions that we've seen so far have to do with the Lord himself, about the Lord's name being hallowed, the Lord's kingdom coming, and then the will of the Lord being done. Now we move to three petitions that have to do with us. We are praying that the Lord will give us our daily bread and that the Lord will forgive us and that the Lord will deliver us from evil. It's interesting that this is the only petition in the Lord's Prayer is given here that has to do with that which is physical and material. It speaks of daily bread, and I think it speaks of that food which we eat each day. It's physical. Now, the others having to do with the Lord have a strong spiritual dimension, as well as the forgiveness of sins, and the deliverance from evil. Those are spiritual dimensions of our lives. But this one seems to report only that which is physical. We're asking the Lord to feed us, to take care of us. I'd like to suggest to you, though, that even this one drives to some extreme and wonderful spiritual truth. Not only that, it is this petition, as well as in a sense, each one of them, that points us to Christ. Let me flesh out what I mean by that. This is only physical in the sense that this give us is personal, as we mentioned. This day, it is time-bound, so it's earthbound and time-bound, and it's daily bread in that it is physical. It's enable to, to enable us to live life on this earth. Uh, it's a wonderful concept when you think about creation. God put into the earth everything that humanity would need for its survival all the days that the Lord planned for humanity to be on earth. And all of our living is extraction. We draw out from the earth, we mine it, we forest it, we, we plow it, we harvest it, we hunt, we fish, we do everything coming and we drill, everything you can think of we do to pull the resources that we need for daily living out of the earth. Many of the resources God put there has been there since the very beginning. Some are renewable like the crops 
And it is at the mercy of the Lord and the providence of God that those repetitive and repeatable things like the crops, forest is a crop, but the crop that's in view here is the wheat or the barley or the grain harvest. Grain has been called the staff of life. It is that which we, we live on. It is that which keeps us sustained. And it is subject to everything that might be part of the created environment over whom God is sovereignly in control. The rain. If any of you here have a farm background at all, your grandparents were maybe parents were farmers, maybe you grew up on a farm, you know how important the rain is and the sunshine and the harvest and the seasons. All of that we say we understand evaporation and condensation. We've got a pretty good handle on what makes the rain. And that's true when you look at it from the natural, but when you look at it from God's standpoint, the rain comes from the Lord. And I remember old farmers praying for rain. The problem within Texas is every time the Lord breaks a drought in Texas, he does it with a flash flood. Have you ever noticed that? I've been here since the mid-50s when we had the, one of the great uh, droughts in those 55, 60, those years uh, where uh, since the Great Depression. And, other, and just a few years ago, we had a drought, a terrible drought here in central Texas. And, and uh, it came the worst flood we'd had in 100 years about 14 inches of rain in about a couple of hours one Sunday night and just washed away. The, it took my little brickly, uh, little brook that sort of babbles over the rocks down the creek and turned it into a gully about half the size of this room. Changed the landscape in a matter of just a few minutes and did a lot worse damage to some of my neighbors because they had more things on their property than I did. But all of that is, is the things that God is in control and God gives us these things and they come from him. If we think about it for just a moment, we can't live one minute on this earth without the Lord giving the provision that he does. So it is not only a petition asking God for that daily, petition, uh, daily existence, but it's also a recognition that it comes from God and that we are dependent. And I think we take a whole lot of things for granted in our lives, especially those of us who are now high-rise urban dwellers where everything is found just a few short blocks from your front door. All the food, gasoline, automobiles, clothing stores, places to eat out, entertainment, everything is just a short walk from the front door. And we tend to take all that for granted. But it all comes from the hand of the Lord. In fact, the Lord put his people to one of their greatest spiritual tests over this very issue of daily bread. And you're familiar with the story. It's printed there in your bulletin. I was going to read a few different verses, but from the same story, and I'll read it for you. It's found in the book of Exodus. God's people have come out of Egypt. They've crossed over the Red Sea. They're about six weeks into their journey, which is going to end up lasting almost 40 years, and they've run out of provisions. And so the scripture says, the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. Interesting, interesting term. We ate bread to the full. For you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, 
Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you and for the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. There's the daily bread uh, notion. That I may test them. That's what all of a sudden moves this from just a physical thing to a spiritual thing. That I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And then the story continues down in 1611. And the Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the people. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, but in the morning you shall be filled. Notice that. When it comes to the bread, it's a filling. It's a complete satisfaction, a satiating of all measure of hunger. That's what the Lord does with this manna. He fills them with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. And sure enough, when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is this? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. Now, how did they do on the test? Well, let's move forward about 38, 39 years. In fact, a full generation. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 8. The Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you. Deuteronomy chapter 8, that he might humble you testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep the commandments or not. Isn't that something? God's provision, which was wonderful, was also a test. How are they going to receive this? How are they going to handle this? Is it going to be with a spirit of gratitude and a heart of obedience? Or is it going to be continual grumbling and complaining and disobedience? Walking with the Lord or walking apart from the Lord? It was a test. And he humbled you and led you, uh, let you hunger and led you with, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. How quickly we've gone from physical food, which is necessary and must, we must have it to spiritual food, which we also must have. One of the interesting things that Jesus did in his lifetime, he had a lot of conversations. And I love them all, but my favorite conversations at the moment at least, what I'm kind of obsessing on in my own study so often, is the, is the conversations that Jesus had with the spiritual leaders of his time because it tells us a lot about who Jesus is and how he fits in and how he fulfills all that God had prepared in salvation. And one of the, the running conversations you'll find uh, in the scriptures is the conversation that Jesus had with the, the Jewish leaders that would come out from Jerusalem. And occasionally later on, Jesus would be in Jerusalem himself and they would have these conversations. But this one happened in Galilee and something had happened up there. Jesus had been teaching, a very large crowd had gathered, and you're familiar with the story. Jesus took two little fishes and five loaves from a little boy's lunch and fed 5,000 people. 
And, and he did it with his disciples assisting him in every way. One of the things that, that the disciples said, that the Lord said to the disciples in administering and passing out this meal, this loaves and fishes, was he told them to have the men, about 5,000 men, to sit down. And by the way, I'm not going to make a fetish out of it, but the proper way to serve the Lord's Supper is to be seated and to be served by God's, God's elders. Every, every time they had a feast and there was any kind of feasting in the Old Testament, it was a seated feast. The elders with, with Moses, the Passover meal, the Last Supper, every time. So just, just let, I'll just let you know just one of my little notions in my noggin about, about a few things. But he had them seated. And it was interesting. He seated them by 50s and by 100s. There was order to the seating. And, and the disciples seated the men, 5,000 men, by companies of 50 and 100. And there's a reason for that, and we'll get to it in just a minute. The Lord then, in speaking to them, says, Jesus says, have the people sit down. This is John 6. Now there was much grass in the place. The people are all in a big, ordered fold, and there's grass in the place. You're getting it? Psalm 23. The green pastures. It's an allusion to the pastoral ministry of Christ where the flock is gathered in green pastures with grass. But anyway, that's, that's just another little side note. This is really not the main part of the sermon. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down about 5,000 in number. It's Mark in, it, that tells us they were in 50s and 100s, not, not John here. Then the Lord took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish as much as they wanted, and when they had eaten their fill, he said to his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. That sign convinced the people that this was that prophet that was coming to the world. What prophet? Well, I must take you once again in Scripture back to Deuteronomy. And we get to Deuteronomy, we get to Deuteronomy 18. And God, in, in speaking to Moses says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me among you from his brothers. It is to him you shall listen. And the Lord said, thou art right in what thou hast spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth. Do you believe in biblical verbal inspiration? The Lord says this to several prophets, including Jeremiah. Behold, I will put my words in his mouth. That's what verbal inspiration is at bottom. He says, I will put my words in his mouth, and he will speak to them all that I commanded him. And whoever will not listen to my words, and, so, and when he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. The actual, the actual pivotal thing in the life of a person is how they have heeded the voice of this prophet. This prophet's going to come and he's going to be the difference. If you listen to this prophet, if you follow this prophet, you obey this prophet, 
If you do what he says, and these are the very words of God, then you will have eternal life. But if you do not listen to this prophet, you will not have eternal life. Well, that takes us back to the discourse that followed the miracle. You remember we talked about the miracle a minute ago? 5,000 people, men that were fed in every way, and now we're back to, to that particular instance. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. That's Jesus Christ. They realized that this was Christ. This was the prophet that had been promised 1,500 years ago from the, the, uh, the preaching and the teaching of Moses. Now, there's another little incidental thing. It's hard for me to pass these things up. Uh, next verse, verse 15 says, Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. They thought they had their king right there. And they did. They just didn't have God's timing. But they were going to take him and make him king. Why in the world would these people recognizing Jesus as a prophet and seeing him feed the 5,000, why would they be so anxious to make him king? Well, because if you're going to have a king, that's a good king to have. Because when the men were arrayed upon the mountainside in companies of 50 and 100, they were organized like an army. 5,000 men arrayed like an army. That's a pretty big army in the ancient world. In the ancient world, they fought many famous battles with just a few hundred or a few thousand people. 5,000 men, not counting the women and children, arrayed like that was a pretty impressive force, a formidable force. And then if you identify the man who was able to give them food and an army runs on its stomach, I think it was Napoleon said that, somebody, ancient general told us that, that an army moves on its stomach. If you can feed and motivate and provide provision for an army, then you've got a pretty formidable force. And there was always this suspicion that Jesus was, was up to some mischief with respect to usurpation of the Roman authority. It says, but in this case, they tried by force to make him king, but Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Jesus knew it wasn't time for the arrayed armies to come. That is yet to come. It was time for the suffering servant to come. So Jesus, once again in his humility, moved away, prevented them from doing anything that would be seditious to Rome or that would be out of God's plan and followed it. Now, Jesus, there's a few things that happen overnight. Jesus walks on the water. But then on the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw him there. And so they began to talk to him about this miracle that had taken place. And so now we're down to verse 26 in chapter 6. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeing me not because you, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. Jesus said, you really are interested in only the physical, only the fill. That word just keeps recurring. Only the fill of the bread of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. Now we're on to the spiritual. Jesus himself is talking about how the physical food is just a, a physical manifestation of some deeper and more profound spiritual truths about our lives and about our existence. It says, the food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give you for on him the Father has set his seal. 
Jesus recognizes and lets them know that he is the one. So they continue the conversation, and I'm just going to give a a few highlights of it as we close here. Jesus talks, they say to him, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. And it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So they recall their Old Testament and they remember this occasion back in the wilderness. The the leaders did. And then Jesus responds, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gave you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. That's the essence of the bread. It gives life to the world. In a physical sense, yes, we see. We understand. But do we understand the true spiritual sense in which Christ is talking about this bread and this life? Jesus said to them the very next verse, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. It's the faith, it's the belief that makes all the difference in the world. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you not believe. All the Father gives to me will come to me. So then the Jews begin to grumble, and there's a bunch of wonderful verses in this passage that uh, talks more and more about um, uh, Some great spiritual truths about coming to the Father, about eternal life, about the resurrection. You ought to almost memorize John chapter 6 in your own personal devotional life. It's worth everything. But as we come to the end of the chapter, the real discussion begins. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say unto you, whoever believes in me has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. So the physical will not sustain There's a death waiting at the end of that. No matter how much bread and no matter how full and and satisfied you are, the physical comes to death. It's the eternal that's important. And he says, I am the living bread that that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And this is what is memorialized and symbolized in our, in our taking of the bread in our communion service that we have. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say unto you, unless this is the challenge, this is the invitation of the sermon. I say unto you that unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whosoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. Whosoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Whosoever eats of this bread, Jesus Christ, this has nothing to do with consuming a physical body of Christ as is erroneously taught by some of our Christian brothers and friends. It has to do with believing in Christ. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son hath not life. We are to believe on Christ, to place our faith in him, to come to him, to seize him, to follow him, to obey him, to live with him and be sustained by him. For all of this life 
and its comings and goings, and most importantly, for eternity. Come to Christ. Partake of the bread of life.